great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, and I know that there are people watching at home. Uh, I'd like to know that you're watching. And so, Kathy, what's our, is cedarhome.org? Is that, would that be? Okay. So, would you email me at cedarhome.org and say, hi, Mitch, we're listening at home? Because I just want to kind of at least imagine that I, I can see your face. And uh, I, I just really, really, I want to I know that you're there so that we can all kind of be together at the same time in, in one way. So uh, let's just uh, ask God for his blessing on the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I just pray that uh, you would take this incredible um, text of scripture and do something that we can't do, and that is employ your Holy Spirit to just impact our hearts. Um, this is just an amazing passage of scripture, one that I would like to have us just remember for years to come. Work in our hearts and in our church, Lord, through this text, and thank you that you care about this church family and that you have the best in mind for us as we surrender to you and to each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you got your Bible with you, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter one, verses four through 14 today. Hebrews 1, 4 through 14, I began the study of the book of Hebrews three weeks ago with an introduction and we'll be winding our way through this book for an undetermined amount of time. I am in no hurry, I, other than I want us to get our new pastor, of course, but uh, I'm in no hurry to, uh, to finish this book because it's so rich, so many ways that it can ch change our lives. But we'll be in verses four through 14 and we'll read that as we go along through the message this morning. Um, the title of the message today is Jesus Superior to Angels. Jesus Superior to Angels. If you've ever done a study on angels, you know it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a fascinating study to read what the Bible has to say about angels. But one thing you notice what the Bible talks about angels, it's really a lot different than what the world has to say about angels, doesn't it? When I, I was just trying to think in my mind, what does the world out there, whether it's in music or uh, movies or TV shows or uh, in print, what do they say about angels that's markedly different from the, what the Bible says about angels? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is an angel to the world is one of those chubby little kind of cherubs, you know, that fly around on Valentine's Day with their bows drawn, ready to shoot some love potion number nine into somebody so that they'll uh, be attracted to someone else. In fact, I'm dating myself really bad here, but do you remember uh, uh, a song called Cupid? Not very many people. Sam Cooke put it out in 1961. Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow go straight to my lover's heart for me. Cupid, please hear my cry and let your arrow fly straight to my lover's heart for me. Does anybody besides me remember that tune? No, okay. That's kind of the world's concept of angels. Or you go to TV and you get touched by an angel or some other angel show or movies have had an angelic theme, usually half man, half angel, and show up when things get really hairy and, and fix things. My favorite angel in the movies is Clarence. Have you ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. Clarence, that frumpy, dowdy angel trying to win his wings with Jimmy Stewart, remember? 
That's the concept of angels to the world. And as you know, biblical angels are a far cry from the secular angels. Maybe the closest that uh, it comes, I think, is some of the angels in the medieval pa- paintings where they're a little bit more brawny and, and, and they're employed to do God's will. But boy, you get to the Bible and you have, uh, it's a great study. Scott Coltrane, uh, pastor, has done a study on angels, which I can't even go into, except on a very superficial level. But this is some of his, his summary on biblical angels. And I have, there's scriptures beneath each one of these s- titles or subheadings, but we don't have time to go into all of them. But the angels were created by God before the earth was made, okay? They are innumerable. Um, Revelation 5.11 talks about myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels, okay? Um, they are eternal. Once they're created, they're, they're here for good. They're mighty in strength, they're holy, they're ministers of the Lord, they praise and worship God, they deliver divine revelation to man, they execute the judgments of God. You think of Sodom, you think of the last days, they will be key in executing the judgments of God upon this earth. Uh, They minister to God's people, people like you and I will, will get to that here today. They strengthen in the hour of trial. You think of Elijah when he was so depressed after he was getting uh, chased by Jezebel and the angel ministered to him. They ministered to Christ when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan and when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. They guard and protect and deliver God's chosen. Who shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was in the lion's den? The angels. Okay, read it. Uh, they opened the gates of the prison doors when the early disciples were imprisoned. They, and here's an interesting one. They receive the departed saints. When you breathe your last breath upon this earth, if Christ doesn't return first, guess who's gonna give us an escort to heaven? An angel or two or 10, I don't know. But it says that in Luke chapter 16. There are different classes of angels. There are archangels like Michael. There are the seraph and the cherubim that surround and praise God in the book of Isaiah. And uh, one final thing I'll say and I'll mention later, that when you got saved, the moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what happened in heaven? The angels went crazy. Well, actually, it says they rejoiced, but they were thrilled when you got saved. So that's just a very cursory uh, uh, covering or survey of what angels are like. But in general, angels are the most powerful, wise, and wondrous of all God's creation. They really are. There's 108 references in the Old Testament to angels and 165 references to angels in the New Testament. And they're described as beautiful and powerful and overwhelming and intelligent and they have emotions and they're highly organized and you know they could touch an army with one finger and an army of one, two, or ten hundred thousand people is dead. They have power that we cannot even imagine. In fact, most of the time when an angel appears to someone in the scriptures, they just fall down on their face. They do a face plant. They can't handle the, the glory or the majesty of an angel. Revelation 22, 8, 9 says, I, John, 
John, the revelator, was writing, and I am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you, with your brothers, the prophets, and and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now let's get more to where we're going this morning. How did Jews feel about angels? How did Jews feel about angels? The Jews revered angels. They revered the angels. They were awed by the angels, probably mostly because the angels were involved in receiving the law from God on Mount Sinai and through Moses presenting it to the Israelites. Acts 7.53 and Galatians 3.19 if you're wanting to know the scriptures. But they were described by the Jews as being immeasurably important, immeasurably important, because they did God's bidding. And the Jews believed of that day that they, the angels controlled the stars and the, and, the, and the seas. So why would the writer to the Hebrews, that book that we're gonna look at today, the passage, bring up the subject regarding Jesus' superiority and infinite betterness to the angels, to these Jewish believers? Why would he bring it up? Well, one of the commentaries that I'm using as we go through this uh, study on the book of Hebrews is the one by R. Kent Hughes, and he nails it. So, I, you know, some, when I find someone that nails it better than I can, I just steal, you know. But he says this, what awesome beings are angels and what terrific power they wield, but despite all their cosmic excellencies, their significance dwindles in the presence of Christ. Thus we come to the grand theme of Hebrews 1, 4 through 14, Christ's superior, superiority to angels. Now here, this is, this is key to this whole passage. Why does the writer expound it here? Because some of the Jewish believers to whom he was writing were in danger of compromising Jesus' superiority and lapsing back into their previous life of Judaism. They were under pressure First, now think about this. They were under pressure first from the imminent threat of Nero's persecution for being Christians. And if you know any kind of history, you know that was a terrible thing. And secondly, they were pressured because of ostracism by their Jewish countrymen in the synagogue. They were being tempted to compromise. And if they would simply just agree that Jesus was an angel, perhaps even the greatest of angels, but not God, they would be accepted into the synagogue and escape the awful pressure. Such a prospect was tantalizing because it didn't require an outright denial of Christ, but only a different affirmation of him and his greatness as an angel. And the prospect was also face-saving because it didn't deny that they had had a real experience with an exalted being. See, they're gonna get their cake and eat it too. Now, focus in on this because I told you that the book of Hebrews is a template for the church of 2021. I never wanna let that get out of our sight. Here it is. It only takes a little thought to identify with this temptation because the supremacy of Christ brings tension in everyday life. The world bristles at Jesus only but one does not have to deny him to get along in the world. Rather, 
We are encouraged to simply affirm that he was the very best of men to ever walk on this planet, that his ethics were exalted, that his life was heroic from beginning to end, that he is the supreme example for sacrifice. If one does this, the pressure will be off. What a temptation for the Hebrew Christians in a life-threatening context. A simple change of emphasis on the person of Christ from son to angel, and one would be spared the suffering, and I'll add the rejection and the ostracism and the social outcasts that will happen when you hold to the only true Christ. But the writer of Hebrews is determined that his friends not fall to this, so he creates a mosaic of Old Testament texts that powerfully demonstrate the superior of Christ over the angels. Are we not living in that day and age? It's coming slowly, or is it coming fast? I don't know, I'm not a prophet. I just know that it's increasing. How does this apply to you and I today? That's what I wanna go to. How does this apply to me and you? Because it's important. Here it is. If Jesus is a little less than God, nobody disapproves and everybody approves. If Jesus isn't God, no commitment is involved. And there will be no persecution or harassment. Again, what can we learn from this? The world promises us an easier time of it if our Jesus isn't God and the only way of salvation. That's increasing. So the danger of worshiping angels instead of Jesus and going back to their previous easier life of Judaism was a real possibility to these professed believers. And so we, today, need to hold to a true Jesus compared to the angels or anything else, any other gospel, any other system of theology, any other popular teaching, any other religion for that matter. Now what happens here in this text? The writer gives us six, and some have seven, some have five. I discovered the right number at six. You know, you can bend and shape six to seven or six to five, it doesn't really matter. But six ways via some key at Old Testament quotes, uh, verses, that would, uh, they would have and we need the credibility needed for us to hold to the supreme, true, awesome Christ. And that's where we're going today. And so the title of the message, Jesus Superior to Angels, and we're gonna look at six quickly. Number one, Jesus was infinitely greater or more superior and better than the angels because of his title or his name. Okay, his title or his name. And I'd like you to look at verses four and five with me in chapter one of Hebrews. Hebrews one, four and five. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now there are four words in this first uh, point about the title or the name of Jesus that we need to pay attention to. The word name, the word heir or inherited, the word become in verse five and the word today and son of God in verse, second half of verse five. First of all, the word name, the word name. It says here that he became as much superior to the angels as the name 
he has inherited. I think uh, we need to understand that before he came to earth and after his resurrection, Jesus inherited the name Son and all the honor and dignity and deity that comes with that title, which put him far above the angels, infinitely above the angels. No angel was ever called the Son of God, we'll see, but Philippians 2, 9 and 10 make it really clear here. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. Is that up there, by the way? Philippians 2, 9 and 10, thank you. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth infinitely greater than the angels, or anything else, anybody else. And then we have the word heir here in verse four, okay, or inherited. Last week we talked about the meaning of that word, and I love the meaning of that word. It can mean proprietor. I just love that. Jesus is the owner of the store of the universe. Angels aren't, okay? Jesus is on an equal plane with the Father because he owns the universe. And then you have the word become in verse five. In some of your versions, it's the word begotten. And this is super key here. If you're gonna be an apologist for the faith when cults come knocking at your door, the word become or begotten is not the word that means to make something or create something, okay? but become speaks of what happens after his incarnation and at what was accomplished through his resurrection, okay? It's not, it doesn't mean create or make something. Become speaks, what, uh, become speaks to what happened after his incarnation and what was accomplished through his resurrection it has nothing to do with being created or, or born out of nothing by the hand of the Father. Some of you have begotten, and, and, the, and cults will, will, will hop on that and say, well, he was begotten. Yeah, as the Son, as the resurrected one, but not as a new creation out of nothing. And then we have two words in second half of verse five, the word today, which speaks of Christ's resurrection, not his creation, and then we have him described as the son of God. And all of that has to do with who he was when he was on earth, not who he was created to be. Okay, so why is Jesus better and more superior than the angels? Because his name is above all names, the uncreated creator. Now that brings us to the second point of why Jesus is uh, better and superior, infinitely superior to the angels, and that's in verse six. Jesus is superior, better than the angels because he's worthy of worship and angels are not worthy of worship. Look at verse six. And again, when God brings his firstborn, there you have that word again, sounds like he was born from out of time into time, it's not what it means at all, into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now that word firstborn causes a lot of problems for people that don't know the Bible in this area because it says firstborn. 
okay? And it's not something that uh, comes from out of time into time. It's the Greek word prototokos, and it's where we get our word prototype. Prototype. Not a created being, but prototokos or prototype denotes priority of position. It has nothing to do with time, but of chief position, supreme rights, or honored one. Nothing to do with being born like we think of birth. And just as the firstborn son had certain privileges and rights in the biblical world, so also Christ has certain rights in relation to all of creation, such as priority, superiority, preeminence, and sovereignty. Now, I'll just squeeze it down to three words, guys. This has to do with position, not creation. You with me? It's the position of Jesus, not the creation of Jesus. Position, not creation. Okay? In fact, the psalm that this verse is taken from, Psalm 97, in that psalm, the reference is to the Lord God, Yahweh. And it's lifted out of that psalm by the writer of the Hebrews and applied right into Jesus. Jesus is equal with Yahweh, the eternal God. He's not born like we were born. And he's worthy of worship, okay? Unlike uh, the angels, Jesus as God is what? Worthy of worship. Angel worship in the scriptures is strictly forbidden. And you notice how the angels, especially in that verse that I read in uh, Revelation, they, when somebody tries to worship them, what do they do? Don't worship me. I'm not God. Worship God. You never hear of one of God's angels, Satan will, fallen angel, but you never hear of one of God's angels say, yeah, that's okay if I fall down on your feet. Yeah, I am, I'm a great angel. Never. Only Jesus is worthy of worship. And so why is Jesus better? Why is the writer of the Hebrews saying this to the Hebrew believers? Don't settle for less, he's saying. Yeah, it might cause you some extra grief and frustration and persecution, but Jesus is God. He's not on the par with angels. He's way above. Stay with the true Jesus. And that's what it's saying to you and me here today in 2021. Don't settle for anything less. No matter how much the pressure is ramped up, we serve the God who is infinitely better than angels. Amen? Amen. All kinds of people, all kinds of denominations are, are fudging on that. We can't do that. That takes us to the third thing. Jesus is better than and superior to angels because Jesus is the uncreated savior but angels are his created servants. Jesus is the uncreated savior, but angels are his created servants. Look at verse seven and then 14. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. And are not all angels, verse 14, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Jesus is superior to the angels in nature. They belong to him. Jesus is a creator, their creator. They are his servants. And do what he commands, not vice versa. And this is lifted out of Psalm 104, verse four. God makes angels. Angels serve 
God. They are his ministers, wind, flames of fire. They serve those who will inherit salvation. Maybe you've been served by um, an angel along the way. Does anybody think they ever were served by an angel? I, I, I think I was, I think. You know, I don't know for sure, but I think I was. A couple of times, actually. I remember uh, I needed to go somewhere, and my dad lent me his Oldsmobile Cutlass. No, I'm just lying. Yeah, he, he, uh, he lent me his Oldsmobile Cutlass. And um, by the way, if you grew up in mid-Michigan in the 60s and 70s, that's all you drove was an Oldsmobile. You took your life in your hands if you drove a foreign car because that's where they were made. Fisher Body, Oldsmobile, Diamond Rio, General Motors, they were all there. And so I'm driving um, my dad's Cutlass somewhere um, and there was a bridge that came down where we live, the Logan Street Bridge, and I pulled up to the bridge and I was gonna go cross traffic and go up over the bridge. And as I pressed the accelerator, and I looked both ways, nothing there, and I pressed the accelerator, and you ever have your car just quit on you? Kind of like puffed and died? And right as it did that, a car came off that bridge, I swear it was going 60 miles an hour, right across my path, and I just sat there, you know. I wondered, thank, well I said thank you God, and uh, I thought, well, did God tell angel number 12 to go down there and touch the car? To, I don't know, but it just seems so odd because I, I would have been, the car would have been destroyed and I would have been too. I remember another time uh, I was a new Christian, about two or three years old in the Lord. I had gone to the community college in our town, um, Lansing, and uh, it was a rough time in my life because you know when you become a Christian, I always hear that track, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I was saying, where's that wonderful plan that they're talking about in that track? Because this ain't that wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful that you have Jesus in your life. Thank goodness for that. You're going to heaven. But, you know, sometimes it's kind of rough sledding. Am I right? And so anyway, it, I was tough. My family was mad at me for getting saved. My friends took off on me because I didn't want to do the kinds of things that they wanted to do. And I was kind of alone. Didn't know what I do, wanted to do with my life. And and I'm walking through town, and I'm just, I'm down. I mean, I'm down, my head's down. I, I just remember this. I remember this almost 50 years ago, 45, 50 years ago. And coming my way is this African-American man. I would say he was probably 50 to 60 years old. And he had the brightest face and the biggest smile. And he said, hey, come on, man, it's not that bad. Come on now, smile for me. It's gonna be okay. It will. It's, be, it's gonna be all right. And the guy just lifted me up and I thought, wow, that's okay. Yeah, I, can, I, I appreciate that. And I walked a few more steps and I just wanted to turn around, see who he was, and there was nobody there. And I thought, maybe, maybe he ducked into an alleyway, I doubt it, but I just, I thought that was, and I still remember his face to this day. He encouraged me. Now, who, who knows, I'm not trying to make stuff up, but. You know, angels are powerful. And you, you go to this, you, you read missionary stories by the hundreds, if not thousands, of missionaries that were rescued from danger by angels. They're, they're, uh, the people that were trying to kill them see the angels and they take off. And then they, the people that were protected go to them later and say, why did you guys leave? You're about to kill us. And man, we saw big guys with swords and white robes and we said, we're out of here. <laughs> we have in the scriptures 
when there's threats to God's servants. Elisha, for one, was, he and his servant were surrounded in the city of Zaphan in 2 Kings chapter 6. I think it was Zaphan or Dothan. And uh, the servant said to Elisha, man, we're in trouble. Elisha says, no sweat. Uh, father opened his eyes, and the servant saw angels all around the city. They were there. Angels are his servants, are his servants. And Jesus controls them. They don't control Jesus. Let's go to number four. Uh, Jesus is infinitely better, infinitely superior to angels because unlike the angels, Jesus has superior status, not submissive obedience. Okay, superior status, not submissive obedience. Look at verse eight. And I want to warn you, this is, this is overwhelming. But about the son, now who's talking here? Who? Huh? God the Father is talking. God, this is coming right out of Psalm 45. God the Father is talking. But about the son, he, God says, what does he say about the son? Your throne, O God. Hello. God the Father, Jehovah, Yahweh is calling his son, who? God. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. This has to be the most amazing, stunning statement about the betterness and superiority of Christ than any other one in the Bible for my money. There's a few that would maybe be close, but why would they turn to an angel when they got God? Don't do it. And we shouldn't do it. Any substitutes. And we've got to be careful sometimes. Sometimes people treat Christian preachers like God's. Oh, I just love preacher so-and-so. Be careful. Don't, don't exalt anyone over Jesus. Okay? But God the Father is acknowledging God the Son as who? God. It's just that simple. The, uh, ever, not only God, but the everlasting God who created all things, who's reigned, reigning now and is reigning, gonna reign forever and ever. Jesus, the Father, says, you're nothing less than God. Wow, crazy, awesome. He talks about his, his son's eternal, uncreated creatorship, that he reigns. Jesus is definitely superior to angels. Maybe the big, again, maybe the greatest declaration of Christ's deity in the scriptures, I don't know. You know, Jesus uh, claimed deity for himself in the New Testament, guys. What did he say to the religious teachers? I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. I and my father are what? We're one. And the Greek word is a me of one essence. And all the religious leaders cheered and said, yeah, we believe that. No, they picked up what? Stones to kill him. Why are you picking up stones to kill me, Jesus said. Because I'm walking around healing people and doing this? this. No, because you, they said, because you profess to be God. But here, we don't have Jesus saying I'm God. We have the Father saying, Jesus, you are God. 
you are God. Did the Father ever tell any angel, you are God? No, I don't think so. Let's go to number five. Jesus is superior and better than angels because he manages all of creation while they minister within creation. Jesus manages all of creation, but angels only minister within creation. Look at verse 10. This takes a very short backseat to verse eight. So almost as good. He says also, in the beginning, O Lord, who's talking again? God the Father. Who is he talking to? Jesus. In the beginning, O Lord. I gotta really restrain myself from yelling because it's so awesome. But in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The Father is, is exalting and praising his own Son. He never did that with the angels, ever. He's addressing Jesus as the Lord of all creation. Okay? Almighty Yahweh. Jehovah is addressing Jesus the Son as the Lord of all creation, as his equal. Pretty powerful. And he says a little bit farther, he says, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. And you, but you will remain the same and your years will never end. He says, Jesus, you created it all and someday you're gonna recreate it. You're gonna throw it out like an old coat or a pair of slacks or just some old, can you imagine what the new heavens and earth is gonna be like? If he calls this universe, this heavens and earth, just, you know, just a worn out garment? Wow, it's hard to imagine. Well, let's imagine it. Let's go to 2 Peter 3, <laughs> verse four. 2 Peter 3, verse four. Uh, I'm gonna read verse three. I don't think I put it up there, but first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their evil desires. Now verse four. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget one th this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day, here, here we are. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, Atomic and subatomic uh, um, elements, it means in the Greek, if, if they could articulate it in today's language. And the earth will have everything in it laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we 
Christians are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That's describing what Jesus will do. The Father said he would. No angel has that capacity, nor is any angel commissioned by God to do that. Jesus is infinitely above the angels in superiority and betterness. He's the Lord, they offer him worship. He's the creator, they are his creatures. He is infinite in being and power, they are finite and dependent. Angels are honorable and perform service for God, but they pale in comparison to God the Son. And then the last one, Jesus is better and infinitely superior to angels and and we should stick with him no matter how rough it gets regardless of the circumstances because Jesus is the ruling God while the angels are the ones who serve. Jesus is the ruling God. Angels are the ones who serve. Look at verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? To which of the angels did he say, sit at my right hand, the place of ultimate authority, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When one kingdom conquered another in that day, whether it was a ruler or a military commander that did the conquering, it was proper protocol to command and demand that the, that the, the kingdom or the, the, the country, the ruler of that country, was to prostrate himself down in front of the one that won and that one, king or military would stand on the neck of that person. And Jesus is gonna stand on the neck of all the enemies of God's people. Can't come quick enough, amen? Can't, came quick, can't come quick enough. The whole universe is subjected to Jesus. Now I wanna close this morning with five quick applications. Because we live in a world, we live in a world that's becoming increasingly antichrist. I don't know how fast it's gonna go. I'm not a prophet. I can't tell the future. I just know I see it. I see it. That we are the salmon swimming upstream. We are the subculture. Again, maybe Jesus will come first, amen? Pre-tribulationist all the way. I say, you know, not really. I don't know what I am. I'm not on the organizational committee. I'm on the welcoming committee for Jesus, you know, but... But um, some applications. Number one, don't let anyone for any reason at any time under any circumstances persuade you that Jesus isn't fully God just to make things easier. Stay true. Stay true. Stay true. It might cost us. Stay true. Life might just be tough. Stay true. Circumstances may be dire. Stay true. Your emotions may be in the pits, stay true. Because that's when Satan likes to come in and say, yeah, they didn't tell you about this part, did they? Stay true. Jesus is God. Number two, I want to encourage those of you who are parents, and, and really any of you, whose children, or maybe you have grandchildren, and they'll sit long enough to hear you talk for a while, um, to study this passage till you know it and then tell it to them. 
If nothing else, tell them that when the Bible talks about firstborn or begotten, it's speaking specifically of the time that Jesus was the incarnated Son of God in human flesh and resurrected Savior while on earth. It did not speak of his time previous to that. Are you catching the importance of that? I'll lend you the material I use. I've got some killer material that will make it clear. I think kids and young adults and adults need to understand this because when you get this on your door and they say, well, it says right here, he was firstborn, he was begotten, he was a God. Uh, He's certainly a man on a higher level of consciousness, but a God. A created being, you'll know what to do. And I think that's important. Would you agree with me? Yeah, it really is. So I'll, I'll lend you my book as long as I get it back, you know. Number three, this was not a dry theological letter to the Hebrew believers. They needed this desperately. They desperately needed this. Can you imagine seeing Nero start to do his stuff? in the first century? Can you imagine the fear, the threat, the, the temptation to kind of back down from who Jesus really was? And they saw this for their own circumstances in daily life, that Jesus, the eternal God, came to live inside of them when they were saved. And that same God that owns the creation, created it out of nothing, commands all the angels, and is equal with the Father, by the very words of the Father, lives inside of them, and they don't have to fear. First John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. No matter what Satan throws at us, the everlasting God, Jesus, lives in our hearts. I live by that every day. I don't know how people don't. What about you? I just don't know how they get by. And so to this Jewish church, the superiority of Jesus will sustain them through whatever they face, and the same is true of 2021, okay? Even if we die, we get what's called later on in the book, the anchor of hope, Jesus. We get to go be with him. Number four, everyone's gonna worship Christ. Everyone. And some are gonna worship him as unsaved people, and be cast away into the, into the lake of fire with the devil and all his angels. I don't say that with any pleasure, none. But some of them are gonna worship him in glory for all eternity, amen? Hope you're part of that group. I would hate to think otherwise. But there's only really two classes of people, saved and unsaved. I mean, there's black, white, brown, red, yellow. But really, there's only two kinds of people those who are going to worship Jesus in all his glory are those who will be separated from him for eternity. Everyone's going to worship Christ. I encourage you to do it as a saved person. I really do. How do you do that? You repent of your sin. You believe that Jesus, who is God, coming in human flesh, that he was crucified on the cross for our sins, buried, rose bodily on the third day, turned from your sin, Receive him as your Lord and Savior and do it genuinely from your heart to him. You know, I think about, think about this with me. What did people do when they saw an angel generally in the Bible? First thing, 
Huh? Fall down. Fall down. Face plant, as I mentioned earlier. If that's what happens when you see an angel, what's going to happen when you see God? I'd rather do that saved than unsaved. Just saying. And then lastly, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but you'll have to get used to weirdness with me preaching for a while. Okay. Now, I know you'll get a new guy, and he won't be nearly as weird as I am, but sometimes I have thoughts that I think I need to express, and they sound a little strange, but they're biblical. But if you came in here thinking, God just doesn't like me. Now, he likes, he likes Mr. and Mrs. Christian over there because they have their act together. At least it looks like it on the outside. Their halos are perfectly adjusted when they come into church. But I just don't know if God likes me. Sometimes I wonder if he hates me. I, I just wonder if he even thinks about me. I'm so lonely. I want you to think about something. In the 15th chapter of Luke, it says, when you got saved, the angels rejoiced. And it doesn't seem to me that it was just like angel group number 12 or angel group number 30 or it says the angels. Imagine what a racket in heaven happened when you got saved. God told the angels and put your name in the blank. He or she just got saved and the whole of heaven just went crazy with worship and praise. And God hasn't thought anything less of you since then. He loved you enough to bring you into the kingdom of heaven, to have angels worship over you, and he still loves us. Take that to the bank, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what your scriptures say about Jesus. We just revel in that. And if any part of this sermon is appropriate for any person here, uh, help them to think about it all day long and rejoice in it. And if there's one here that maybe they're not gonna bow to the, as a saved person, but as an unsaved, bring them into your kingdom and rejoice over them through the angels. We love you. Thank, thank you for our Savior that he's worth sticking with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed. Have an awesome day.